Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Monergy Life. This is Robert Fisher, your host, on a uh, bit of a sweltering evening here in New York City. I think our our guest is calling in. Daniel, is that you? I'm here. Okay. Um, Welcome to Monergy Life. Uh, I was just uh, about to introduce you, and you beat me to the punch by calling in. How are you tonight? Um, well, I didn't mean to interrupt. Pardon me if I, uh, I came in at the wrong time. Oh, no, no, no. You came in at the perfect time. I was, I was uh, just about to introduce you to our listeners as a hypnotherapist and a regression therapist in New York, and I know that doesn't do justice to all the things you're doing, but it's a start. So let's get started with hypnotherapy, which I think is fascinating to a lot of the people that need tonight. Um, how did you get involved in hypnotherapy? Well, hypnotherapy and regression therapy are the family business. My father was a hypnotherapist in the 80s, 90s, uh, and then until he passed away in 2011. And it was around me when I was a kid. I, I experienced my first past life regression when I was about 14 years old, which was my introduction to hypnosis and meditation, guided therapies, philosophy too perhaps and many other concepts and I just gravitated towards these kinds of experiences at a very young age very naturally and didn't really think I would do or could do uh, for a living or as a career the kind of thing myself until I was in my 20s and a little bit more mature a little bit later in life and eventually would end up taking over my father's practice and now I've been in private practice for over seven years here in New York. That's that's extremely interesting. So your dad was a real pioneer in the field, I take it. He was, especially in the niche of regression therapy and past life regression. My dad was the president of the Association for Past Life Research and Therapies when I was a kid. So um, it was really fun telling my friends what he did for a living. <laughs> it always got a good right. response. Always. Uh, I, I bet it did. You know, for a lot of people, there is a lot of ignorance about what hypnotherapy is, what regression therapy is. I'm wondering if if we could start with the basics before we get into some of the nitty-gritty details. So, of course, what exactly is hypnotherapy? Hypnotherapy is the application of hypnosis and trance psychology for therapeutic purposes. Full stop. In most cases the experience of hypnotherapy will look like guided meditation with a specific goal or agenda, say anxiety relief or stress relief, something like that, and a great deal of technique. Uh, But the ingredients, again, will be the exact same as they would be in a guided meditation or a shavasana at the end of a yoga class. It's deep breathing, it's listening, it's attention with the breath and the senses, Uh, It's genuinely and generally very relaxing. So hypnotherapy itself, in demystifying it up front, is really a very separate experience from everything that we've seen in film and television and the common concepts of quacking like a duck or, you know, memory loss or the uh, swinging pendulum or something like this. 
it's it's so separate from the experience and um, yeah, just from hypnosis for entertainment that it is kind of a bummer that they have the same word. Uh, it creates more confusion, uh, obviously, than it needs to. Um, but basically, again, hypnotherapy is just that. It's trans psychology for therapeutic purposes. Well, so why do you think, uh, uh, apart from its reflection in films, which I think is the way that most people have encountered uh, what they consider to yeah. be hypnosis from their experiences in watching films, why do you think it, it has had that uh, characteristic? I mean, uh, is it because there aren't many hypnotherapists practicing in the country? Do you think that that has something to do with it? I do think that's part of it. There's a kind of a lack of representation, a lack of understanding. The average hypnotist or hypnotherapist uh, is, <laughs> you know, I don't know necessarily who the average is. A lot of a lot of therapists, <laughs> psychotherapists and psychiatrists will also use hypnosis or hypnotherapy, but it's something that they have in their toolkit. It's not something that they'll focus on quite like I do. Um, but yeah, there is absolutely, uh, I don't know if it's a shortage or what necessarily, but there is a lack of representation. And again, you know, I'll point to film and television again, that usually uh, last year's excellent movie get out is a good example of this, that if there's a hypnotist in the movie, four out of five times, there'll be a villain or, or four out of five times they're using hypnosis as a tool of deception a tool of control, a tool of some kind of fearful or pernicious intent. And, you know, again, this just casts hypnosis in, in the, a very wrong, uh, wrong-minded light to begin with. Um, so, you know, even the representation that is in popular culture usually isn't very good. Right. And if it's not used by a villain, it's some type of a magic uh, a magic attachment, yeah, or that, right? Or that, yeah, exactly. Right. So what are some of the purposes in your practice that, that you find to be very helpful using hypnotherapy? Well, more than anything else, and it may, because, may be because we live in the age that we do, or certainly in New York City, everybody is always running around and, and very busy, et cetera, et cetera. Anxiety relief, more than anything else, is what I end up working with and offering hypnotherapy for, the relief of anxiety and stress. On top of that, symptoms of depression, habit cessation, smoking cessation being a classic amongst those, performance issues, athletics, presentation skills. There is a, a whole niche of hypnotherapy specifically for golf which is really interesting. But the way that hypnosis actually can help athletes and performers hone in on their, their skill sets and isolate little areas, for instance, in your golf swing where you want to improve a thing or in your performance as an actor or something like that, being more immersed in a role, hypnosis is a very, very good tool for, for those types of skills as well as performance in business, you know, again, presentation skills, meetings, communication, relaxation during the workday, things like this. Uh, and then, of course, also discrete issues, things at home or in relationships, sexual performance as well. 
So there, there really is a very wide range of applications. I, I certainly don't want to make it sound like a panacea or a universal prescription of some sort. It is not that. It is not a magical cure for anything, but it is a, a very useful tool really just because trans psychology and the way that we experience trans is so universal amongst us that it really can apply across many different things. What would be a typical schedule of therapy that um, you would prescribe or you would um, have with a client? Let's say if someone came to you and they were very anxious about their job, let's say they were, they were scared of losing their job in some type of a, um, you know, a move in the company to uh, make it more efficient or, or so, what would be a typical schedule? Can you project for something like that if, uh, if someone came to you for that, how how long do you think it would take? What would your typical session include? Uh, is there any way to give our listeners some idea as to what that would entail? Yeah, definitely. My first question is always, how can I help you? So I really want at the beginning of the session to start establishing goals as quickly as we can just to get a sense of how you want to use the time and where we're directing our attention towards. Hypnosis and hypnotherapy are intended usually as brief interventions. So they're really a very cool alternative to something like psychotherapy or psychoanalysis, which also is sometimes necessary. I myself know many psychotherapists and really just consider all of these modalities tools that are available to us. And one will be right for one job and another will be right for another. But in terms of the scenario that you mentioned, that person, again, I would start with, how can I help you? Tell me about what's going on. What are we directing our attention towards here? And then usually between three and nine sessions, depending on who I'm working with and what the issue is. You know, if it's something as contained and specific as, you know, I'm feeling anxious at work, I'm worried my boss is not happy with my performance and I might get fired and I need to feel more relaxed and confident at work. That's a very specific thing. And we can focus in on that and really, like a laser beam, go in on what does it feel like when you're not thinking about what you don't have to think about and you're just safe and embodied and feel relaxed and calm at work. And again, your, your mind is clear and quiet. and You can just flow through your activities. The client's language will be more important than mine but we will focus in very intently on, on that moment. Whereas, you know, it's a different thing if somebody comes in with, you know, I've had this issue in relationships where I develop codependency and it's been with me since I was in high school and now I'm in my 40s and it's this pattern that is larger and more generalized and more abstract. That, it's not necessarily that that will take longer but that is simply a more general and wide-open subject that needs to be unpacked and looked at for something as specific as I get anxious at work. So, right. again, and coming back to your question, the, the short answer is between three and nine sessions. Um, in, in one session of hypnotherapy, you can begin to create a shift. If for no other reason than hypnotherapy and, and most guided therapies have the advantage of having a practical portion 
where you're not just intellectually engaging or talking about, here's my problems, here's what's going on, et cetera, et cetera, which sometimes, again, talking about it and being witnessed in that is all that's necessary. But other times, it's very useful to have this practical portion where you're doing some kind of exercise, whether it's hypnotherapy or something else. It's certainly, there are many available options to us here. But that exercise, that practical portion, I really believe is very, very important. And the, the brain training that happens during those practical portions and being able to have those reference points of those practices, the tools themselves too, when we're not in session and when myself or the client or whomever is in the outside world just living their life so that they have in their brain the reference point of that exercise, that brain training, that visualization where they remember how it felt, the brain remembers how it felt to be calm and confident at work. And you don't have to think about it. It's just there. So I, there, I, think, there, I think it's very fascinating. And, and um, after uh, responding to my question, I have hmm. even more questions. Um, please, one please. of which is how do psychotherapists look at you? I mean, here you're suggesting <laughs> that you could help somebody in three to nine sessions for a question of anxiety at work. And, you know, I know of people, and I'm sure you do too, who have been to psychotherapists for years dealing with anxiety sure. issues. Sure. So, so, um, so do they look askew at you, at what you do? <laughs> <laughs> some, I'm funny. sure some do. I'm sure some. I, I'm looking at that way. I'm looking at them that way too, just so you know. But, um, no, to answer your why, question. Why do you look at them? Why do you look at them that way? Because they keep somebody as a client for so many years, and they don't really help them. Well, frankly, yes. Why on earth would I mean, Robert? Would you go to somebody to help you with your inner world, and that person's telling you, "I don't know if this is going to work. You're going to come here every week. You're going to pay me good money, a lot of money." And I don't know if we're going to have results. You know, I mean, I appreciate, I respect deeply. <laughs> I, I am no different than anybody else in that I have as a consumer and as a person who has my own mental health needs. And full transparency, I see a psychotherapist. My therapist is a psychotherapist. So, and I'm seeing her because I like her. It, it has less to do with the method, but I trust her as a person. Um, so, so this, to, to this go is back fascinating, here. actually. So you're seeing a psychotherapist, but you look askew at what they do to other people sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> correct. But I'm also, I'm being facetious. I'm kind of kidding. I don't look at them askew necessarily. But I do, I do question the very thing that we're talking about here. I think the model that we're talking about, and as we're getting, we're getting into some pretty great territory already here. Therapy, by and large, I have a friend who's a doctor who says this very often, therapy needs a whole rebranding to begin with. You know, the, the concept of therapy needs to be rebranded and reintegrated and understood in new and different ways. Uh, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday, and we were talking about Freud and Jung and their biographies. And something that I think about kind of often is, I just I don't really appreciating Freud and Jung as the titans of psychology that they are. I also wonder why 
they were alive so long ago, and there are so few names that stand out like theirs between that historical period when they were alive over a century ago and now where we are, um, or not that long, but just, you know, where is, where are the, the new thought leaders and, and the titans of psychology in this day and age? Um, so I, I don't really believe Well, you know, that's in, an interesting question, but I think that I'm no expert on the people you are referring to, but I think that Freud and some of those other people were alive in turn of the century Vienna, correct? Yes. Before World Absolutely. War I. And that yes. was a time, it's, it's interesting, I, I recently read uh, a biography of a writer who grew up in that time, fascinating story, and the way he describes Vienna at the turn of the 20th century was so completely different than our world today. I mean, the focus on intellectual achievement was was primary. People in high school, for instance, did not have sports. There were no sports available. So they focused on their intellectual development. And I think that in that environment, I could easily see how someone like Freud arose and thrived. We're living in a totally different time. I think we both agree to that, right? Where there are some people who don't even read a book. (laughs) Right? Correct. So maybe that's yes. a partial answer to your question. I don't know uh, about I why we is. don't have those people today. Uh, we're living in I a totally different environment of instant gratification where if you don't like somebody or something, you just click and make them go away. It's a totally different environment. Uh, the, the pace is, is maybe a thousand times faster than it was in turn of the century Vienna. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so many things have shifted, but I think you raise an interesting point. Um, you know, about the value of therapy and, and that it needs to be rethought, perhaps rebranded. I hate to use that word. It's overused, but maybe that's what it needs yeah. as well. But, you know, I'm fascinated when you tell me and our listeners that you could help somebody in three to nine sessions with anxiety over a work situation. I mean, I think that's great. And I'd like to so delve a little to- bit more uh, <laughs> into Please, go ahead. the practical portion that you referred to. What is the practical portion? What are the nuggets that somebody could get out of these hypnotherapy sessions, if you could specify? Absolutely. And, and I, I want to contextualize, too, exactly what we mean when we say help somebody in three to nine sessions. When I say I can help somebody with their anxiety in three sessions, what I mean when I say that, and what I, I know in my mind as I'm saying that is a couple different things. Now, first of all, I, I'm, I wouldn't personally state it in that way. I would say that hypnotherapy most definitely can help somebody in three okay. sessions. The, the experience itself, yeah, the experience itself, again, just the general meditation, the progressive relaxation of it, the brain training, the designing of the experience is built to be relaxing. So you have built into the session a genuinely relaxing experience where you leave, you know, clients often leave reporting that they feel like they could be high or something like that, like a little euphoric, relaxed, calm, Interesting. Mm-hmm. you know, because, because you've gone through this experience and you've gone through this at least, you know, 25, 30 minute series of visualizations of yourself feeling calm and relaxed and taking a lot of deep breaths and giving yourself plenty of oxygen. So that alone 
is biomechanically relaxing. That alone is biomechanically anti-anxiety. Mm-hmm. Fair so, enough. But what allows the person to reference those moments when they're at, the, at work the next day? The brain. Their brain. The so memory. The of memory. It. The it, sense it, memory of that experience. Essentially, yes. The sense memory that as a hypnotherapist, I've done everything that I can to help connect that sense memory to their autonomic systems. So it'll be connected with their breath and the circulation and the stuff they're not thinking about. Right. So I'm going to try to make it a subconscious process. Right. Is is it something to do with um, changing the response that they may have at work the next day from a fight or flight response to one where maybe the parasympathetic nervous system is stimulated, which will calm them down? Yes, absolutely. Beautifully said. Okay. Uh, no, it, it's fascinating to me. You know, when you were talking about psychotherapy uh, in comparison to what you do, you know, um, I, as you know, I'm into energy, you know, from the book that I've mm-hmm. written. And, you know, what I have found is, is that, um, you know, the proclivity of, of psychotherapists in the past to make you go back into the past and reexamine all these things that supposedly were traumatic in your life. I mean, I'm grossly generalizing here, okay? But Mm -hmm. in a way, what I've discovered is that by refocusing on these traumatic events, you're giving them more power and you're not letting them go. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't process those things, but to constantly think about them and go back and refer to them, which you and I know, I'm sure we've had the same experience. You meet people for the first time and in the first half hour that you're talking with them, they'll tell you all the traumas they've had in their life. And that's the way they are today because of them, right? That's the dynamic in their mind. And I think that's exactly what causes the problem is that people don't have not really learned how to let go of these experiences and look at them in a non-traumatic way. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, and, you know, I'm very aware of that. In my sessions, oftentimes I have a teacher who has instructed me and the rest of her students that when we have a client who's going on and on about their problems, to actively interrupt them and to to, to stop that. Because of precisely the thing that you're describing, I heard it said a different way recently that, as we describe and explain our problems and issues, we recommit to them. So that as I tell you about my anxieties or what stresses me out, I'm ultimately recommitting to being made anxious and stressed out by those things again. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you're totally uh, identifying with that story that you've created in your mind. Right. Right. You know, so, so I think that yeah, any, anything that breaks that pattern, that, that thought form, anything that breaks it, and it sounds like hypnotherapy is a really faster way to break that, you know, the actual uh, um, transmission of neurons in your brain that cause you to be anxious in the first place by, by actually substituting that for a calming mechanism. I, is, is that a gross generalization of what it does? I mean... Um, I wouldn't call it a gross generalization, but it's, it's, a, it's a generalization, but it's a fine one. You know, and it certainly is about interrupting those feedback loops of 
anxious thought or unnecessary thought or right. sensation or whatever it is. We are interrupting and glitching out right. those loops. Yeah. Right. And, you know, as people become more and more aware that, that they are responsible for their reality, you know, this is going a little bit uh, askew from what we're talking about, but I think it's, it's relevant to just mention it. Um, because I think this is in the forefront of a lot of spiritual teachers, and I've been discussing this with other people, is that if we actually create our reality ourselves and we're responsible for the experiences that we have, that reality is in large part created by our belief system and our thoughts. Mm. So if we could change our belief system and our thoughts about various events, a lot of the suffering that we encounter in our lives is just going to disappear. Now, I just said that in about, what, 15 seconds, but it's not such an easy <laughs> thing to actually do. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think it's something that people are realizing more and more that so much of what we have in our life is self-created, both good and bad. So, yeah. If that's the case, that we actually create our reality with our thoughts, then it's not a, a big stretch to suggest that we can uncreate the parts of our reality that don't serve us anymore. I'm just throwing that out as an idea. I'm with you. Yeah, a thousand percent. And, uh, you know, the, a way that I like to present that sometimes to people that I work with, in fact, we talked about this a little bit at the trance writing class, but, you know, presenting it really as a process of subtraction as opposed to addition. And right. most people that come to see me, you know, on the surface, they may think what they need. And I, I might, too. I could be under this impression that what we need is an additional tool or something like that when the first step is to actually subtract the inessentials to remove what you don't need so we can remember what is important and get back in touch with the essence of whatever is good there. And we can throw right. that. We can and, build on that. You know, when you said that a thought popped into my mind, which I'll share with you in the audience, which is when, you know, we all have these tapes going in our mind, explaining all the things that have happened in our life. And if we could stop playing those negative tapes about our life experience, then the beauty and the joy of life has a better chance to shine through in every moment once those tapes are discarded and put in the garbage where they belong. Yeah, and I think that what you're doing is really going in that direction, really helping people and not enslaving them in endless you know, psychotherapy that may or may not get them the help that they need. Who knows? I'm not disparaging psychotherapy. I, any psychotherapist that's listening, please don't, don't send me any hate mail. I'm not really saying that what you're doing has no value. I'm just suggesting that, you know, maybe there's just another approach which will, will complement what you're doing. Because, you know, for some people, I think psychotherapy really works. But, it, but it's, you know, like everything – you have to find what resonates with you. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about regression therapy. Now, how would you distinguish regression therapy from hypnotherapy? Regression therapy is a niche within hypnotherapy. So it's a form of hypnotherapy that addresses the past and works with memories compassionately. Full stop. 
So regression therapy is just that. It's a form of hypnotherapy that works with the past and memories. On top of regression therapy, as with all of hypnosis, again, you have all kinds of associations and possibilities and uh, other threads moving out from there that go into all kinds of places, the first of which that comes to mind is past life regression. Uh, A lot of people associate with hypnotherapy past life regression, which is an experience where we may or may not be visiting memories of past lifetimes, discovering, hopefully, therapeutic sources of information or awareness, connection in the narratives that come through in those scenes, in those visualizations, and being able to make use of them in your present lifetime. I can give examples of this, of course, if necessary. But uh, regression therapy itself, again, is really just this, a form of hypnotherapy that it addresses compassionately the past and works with memories. Right. So do most of the clients coming to see you come in for hypnotherapy as opposed to regression therapy? Is it a small percentage who are, yeah. Is it because regression therapy is not as widely known as hypnotherapy? Um, People are not aware about it, do you think? I think it's that partially. I think it's that hypnotherapy being ultimately the larger of the concentric circles, uh, that it's what people will reference and ask for and be aware of. Regression therapy itself as a modality has only been around since the late 70s. And I'm probably one of maybe a dozen or definitely not more than that. I am only aware of about five second-generation regression therapists in the world, of which I'm one. And then, wow. you know, but I'm guessing there's, I'm guessing there's more. Uh, so I, I'm putting it around a dozen. But, uh, but regression therapy, again, it's not been around very long, only a generation or two, less than three. And, um, yeah, it's a niche within hypnotherapy that's it's still relatively young. Now, you said that um, regression therapy may be past life regression. So if it's not past life regression, what other type of regression would it be? Just memories of the present life? I prefer uh, a Jungian approach to the idea of past life regression where we're working from the widest possibility space that we can. So it can be a memory of a past lifetime or a fantasy or a television show one saw combined with a book they read or some archetypal journey, a a Jungian archetypal journey of some sort, a symbolic experience, you know, really allowing the experience whatever, excuse me, to be whatever it needs to be. You know, again, from a Jungian point of view, the narratives that come through, it's all just the client's material. It doesn't matter what we call it. We can always work with the material. So if the person is having an experience as a pilot in World War II or something like that, or Cleopatra or an orphan in Victorian London, it really doesn't matter the story. My question is going to be, what is the lesson here? What is the purpose of this experience for you? Why are you showing it to yourself? And what tool or resource can we take from this experience and apply to your life right now, to the goal 
that we have discussed here today. You know, so we're always trying to extract that therapeutic resource, that purpose or lesson, whatever it might be, so we can pull that out and make use of it. Uh, and that being the most important thing, it really doesn't matter all that much what we call the narrative that comes through. We just want it to be useful. Uh, what do you find regression therapy most useful for from your experience? Reevaluating the past. You know, again, to your point uh, about what you were mentioning before about self-talk and, and negative self-talk and how, how powerful it can be and how mechanical and how uh, relentless sometimes even. Regression therapy, when done carefully, responsibly, and professionally is an excellent tool for reevaluating and reframing the past, looking at some of the memories that we may have, you know, thought about or revisited most often and finding some new angle or some new way of applying it to the present that we hadn't seen before. Uh, It's a beautiful tool for working with memories in the past in just that way of reframing, um, which might sound like it's just a small detail, but it can actually be the fulcrum point of getting one or, or, you know, speaking for myself, you know, if I have what I understand as a traumatic experience in the past, in order to get past the feeling of that and, and really feel that that experience is in the rearview mirror and that I'm safe now and I don't have to worry about the recurrence of that, et cetera, et cetera, you know, it's very helpful for me to go back to that memory and neutralize it to understand as deeply, as non-verbally, as unconsciously as possible that that experience is over, it's complete, it can't happen again, I'm safe now, in the present, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this is all, you know, various forms of reframing. If not in one step, then step by step by step by step each moment of reframing being a brick in the wall. Uh, so it can be right. very, very useful for for evaluating the past in just that way. And, and again, it, it's not insignificant in that our identities are comprised of the past. You know, right. We base who we uh, are on what we've done. Right. And perhaps that accounts for the fact that many people repeat the same patterns in their life. <laughs> Which I've perhaps right, yeah, yeah, and sure. it's very difficult. And, and, and I'm there too. Oh, oh, yeah, me too. But it's something that I've really noticed that um, you could almost count on most human beings to repeat the way they've done things in the past because that's the model, that's what they base it on their past experience. And you know, it's very interesting when you can step outside of your past experience and actually just respond to exactly what's being stimulated in the moment uh, in your life. But, you know, that takes some work to be able to do that. Uh, But I think that's the goal that a lot of people have. Um, But as you were describing the reframing of the past, it reminded me of um, a philosopher whose name escapes me, but it may come to me in the next few minutes. But he used the phrase, the pruning shears of revision, in terms of – going back to an event that happened in your past and actually just changing the outcome or changing the, uh, the context of it so that when you think about it, it's not unsettling to you. 
And I think it's pretty much the same thing about reframing the past. And uh, he claimed that that was the way for people to get over their suffering from past events. And if you look at the, if you look underneath as to what the reason would be that that would actually prevent you from suffering again, it's because everything is a thought form. So if you had a trauma in your past, let's say when you were a teenager, you go back to that event and you you know, the pruning shears or you reframe it in your mind. And instead of it having a horrible result, you reframe it or you prune it so that, you know what, it was a good result. So when you start thinking about it in a different uh, context or a different result, you're not unsettled and the effect on your nervous system decreases. Uh, Here again, I think this is a wonderful goal. Not so easy to do, though. Uh, do you find a great deal of success using regression therapy uh, in helping people to reframe, reframe the past? I do. I, I find a great deal of success in, in using regression therapy to help people reframe the past. Yes, just stated like that. Um, but, you know, I, I am also wary of how therapists state their success rates. Um, you know, for instance, the concept of curing something in a therapeutic process is really not accurate. You know, I, for instance, anxiety relief, I, in my frames and definitions, don't think of myself as necessarily curing anybody of anything. And when somebody comes in and says, my anxiety is relieved, I don't think of to myself that they will never be anxious again in their lives and that fear is eradicated from their psyche or something like that. That's not the case, of course. It's just that whatever had been troubling or stopping or challenging them at that point is now resolved and we're on to the next thing. So in terms of that simple goal of reframing the past, yeah, regression therapy is great and I've had great success with it. Yeah, that's terrific. And I, you know, I, I concur with what you just said about curing versus non-curing. Of course, I'm not, a, I'm not a therapist and I don't claim to be, but I think what we're really talking about are modalities that abate the problem uh, for a certain period of time. And it's possible that the person is going to re-experience the anxiety in the future by some trigger. It's possible, but yeah. it's not, but probably yeah. if they really have gone through something that works for them, it's not going to be as strong and it won't last as long. That's the hope anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So I I want to talk in a few minutes that are left about your work at the School of Practical Philosophy. And you and I have a commonality there because I had attended the school uh, and I had learned, I don't know if it was the formal meditation, but it was something they used to call pausing, you know, in the classes Mm -hmm. they had. Uh, and, but I know they also had formal meditation at a certain level. Um, and you were involved with them for, what, seven years? Is that correct? Eight, eight years. Oh, eight years. Okay. Eight Could years, you tell yeah. us a little about your, your experience with the School of Practical Philosophy? Absolutely. Uh, so, incidentally, my father was a teacher there as well. Uh, so I was following in his footsteps there as well. And I absolutely love the School of Practical Philosophy. I think it's one of the coolest places in New York City, and there's many of them around the world. I think there's over 40 schools around the world. Uh, The way I describe the school is it's 
they teach meditation there, really. That's what they do. They teach meditation wrapped in a greatest hits of philosophy from throughout history and the world. A lot of it is couched in School of Athens, Plato, Aristotle. There's also a great deal of Buddhism, Hindu tradition, Christian science and theology as well. Um, so you really do have a very nice combination uh, of voices. The experience of being at the school and the way that they advertise themselves around the city, I don't really like. I don't think it's very accurate to what they're actually doing there. In fact, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say they're misrepresenting themselves, but I don't think that they're, I don't think that they're uh, representing themselves as good as they are. I think they uh, could be changing their message a little bit. That's kind of a different discussion, but ultimately. Robert, you know, for me, it's, it is that they teach meditation. That's what I took from there more than anything else. Wrapped in right. that greatest hits of philosophy, which gave me a primer and a taste of so many different schools of thought from the School of Athens and Plato and Aristotle to also Gurdjieff and the Enneagram and numerology and, you know, the mathematics within philosophy and Pythagoras and how you know all of these things come together in something like a practice of meditation. So their combination of elements there I just think is so neat, unique and so cool. And definitely, too, your experience there, anybody's experience there will matter uh, or will depend on the, the teacher and the tutor that they get. I've spoken to some people that – didn't get along with the teacher that they met there, and that was it. They didn't have a good experience. Done. And then other right. people will immediately be on the same wavelength with their teacher, and the material just lands in just the right way, and they have a great experience. So like everywhere else, we roll the dice. But ultimately, at the School of Practical Philosophy, I think is a wonderful place, and uh, yeah, I highly recommend that people check it out. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. And and from the skills that I learned there, which I learned how to actually sit still for 45 minutes and not move a muscle, <laughs> which is something I never could do before I went to the school of practical philosophy. And Me neither. Me neither, man. Yeah. Right. And that has really proven to be extremely valuable and useful to me in the rest of my life, I have to say. So I always think of the School of Practical Philosophy in the fondest of, of terms. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you mentioned the meditation aspect that was taught at the school because I have one final question. We only have a few minutes left, but we sort of skirted the issue and you mentioned it. But how big a part does meditation play in both hypnotherapy and regression therapy? It's the nucleus. I, I teach a class called Meditation, Hypnosis, and Past Life Regression that looks at the three modalities ultimately as concentric circles. And meditation and observation in meditation, observation of self, observation of the mind, observation of our thoughts, our, our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual planes, however we may define that. And you know, I, I really feel meditation is the nucleus of all of these other experiences. And from that nucleus, we expand outward to trance psychology, where now we have a dialogue. We have a call and a response. 
we have the attention going into the television and the television triggering my my brain with light and sound and this dialogue this feedback loop that now has again a uh the word a a, a subject and an object uh ultimately and then we expand outward from hypnosis to past life regression where we're entering into or really inviting in a third element, the unknown, the mystery, a, a real spiritual inner work and going into spaces where we as human beings simply might not be able to have answers uh, right. and then exploring in those territories. So I really feel that meditation is the nucleus of the experience. It's the, the seed right. and the starting point. Right. Daniel, we yeah. only have a uh, almost uh, half half a minute left. Um, where could mm. our listeners reach you if they wish to partake in your services? Um, where are you located? My website is danielryancrt.com. My office is at the Center for Integrative Hypnosis on 29th Street. I'm uh, on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me also, Daniel Ryan CRT. My phone number is uh, there and everything. I'm pretty easy to find, and I would love to hear from you. So please feel free to reach out. Daniel, let me thank you again for being on Monogy Life. It was a fascinating conversation. I hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as I do. And uh, I want to wish everyone a great evening in New York City or wherever you are listening. Daniel, thanks again for appearing on Monogy Life. Thanks so much, Robert. Really appreciate it. Good night. Bye now.